So in life, we have a lot of questions. We ask a whole lot of questions in life. Every day, we ask a lot of questions. When you're small, it, it's, you know, it's about food, <laughs> about activities, things to do. As, as you get older in life, particularly as a young man, young woman, we've got a lot of them here right now that are they're at a time in their life where they're having some big questions. Where do I go? What do I do? Who will I marry? What will my life look like? It's overwhelming, I know. Uh, that's the stage that you're at. Later, we, we, we begin to have a family and, and get established in a career, and we begin to think questions about purpose. What am I doing? Does it matter? We get older, and we focus on our kids and the questions for them, and then we get older, we begin to think about retirement and ask questions about what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Can I do what I want to do with the rest of my life? And then we begin asking questions because we forget where we put things. That, that, those questions come earlier for some than others. Then our questions seem to be like, when is that doctor's appointment? And then we begin to ask what is my name? <laughs> Life is full of questions, but the most important question that we can ask and have answered in life is the question, how can I be right with God? How can I be saved? What is salvation? How do I receive salvation? Can I receive salvation? That's a question that I believe every man and woman at some point asks because it's a question that God has embedded into our heart. Now, we may not have the, the information or the capacity to answer that question correctly. We may be guided in wrong areas, but the Bible is given to us in large part that that question that God has put in the heart of every man as they, they look upon creation, as they observe themselves, as they look at the, the frailty of life, and they begin to ask the question, who is God and how can I know him? The Bible is given to us that we would be able to answer that question. And in the New Testament, particularly, here in Acts chapter 11, and 10 and 11, Peter goes to a, a man who has that very question, and, and his household and his friends, he has everyone there. And he explains to him how one can be saved. So this morning, I want us to, to look at that. I want us to to think about this, because this is an amazing text within Scripture. I hope I got that point across last week. This is an aha moment for the early church. You see, they had believed up until this point that to be saved meant first you had to be a Jew. First you had to receive circumcision. First you had to understand the law. First you had to, you had to be a Jew first, and then you could be a Christian. And what God is revealing in this text is that, that salvation knows no ethic, ethnic bounds. That all men everywhere are able to receive salvation. And they're to become Christians. Not, we, we've had an issue in the church in the past where we try to have people be saved and, and make them Americans. And so, uh, I'll never forget um, a testimony of a uh, of a pastor in 
Africa who said that the pastors in Africa, a lot of times, they will, they will go to church in traditional dress and they'll have a backpack and before they preach, they'll go put on a suit and then they'll preach to people all in traditional dress and then they'll take the suit off and they'll put on their traditional dress and go home. And, and he said they do that because they think they have to be Americans to be Christians. And that's not the truth of it. That's one of the things that this text teaches us. God is saving people from all tribes, all tongues, all nations. Gathered before the throne we read about in Matthew and in Revelation. There will be a, a great host, unnumerable, crying out and singing the glory of God, worshiping Him made up of all different languages, all different peoples, all different colors. And all of that comes home in this text that we read today. That salvation is for all who believe. Now, I want to read this text, and, and, and we're going to do this a little bit different. I'm going to begin reading in verse 34, and we're going to go to the beginning of 11, and then skip down to the bottom of, of 11. And here's the reason I'm going to do this. It's a really long text, and if you started reading in chapter 10 through the middle of chapter 11, you will hear the same story reported three times as they retell it over and over again. So if you say, Pastor, why did you miss that part? Well, it's because we've, we've already read it twice, but feel free to read it again, and if I, if I miss something, you let me know. But look with me at verse 34, chapter 10. Again, uh, Peter has a, God sends a vision to Cornelius, a Gentile, to go and to get Peter. And then as Peter is hungry and praying, God sends a vision to Peter that, that what I've made clean do not call unclean. And at the very moment that that vision ends, unclean people, what would have been regarded as unclean people, Gentiles, come and knock at the door. And Peter goes, oh, <laughs> maybe this is what God is talking about. Because God tells him to go with them. So he invites them in, and then he goes with them to Cornelius' house. And he's there, and Cornelius tells him about the vision, and he says, if, if you look at, at verse 33, this is Cornelius, so I sent for you at once, and you have been so kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. It's time to preach. So here's Peter's response, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right and is acceptable to him. For the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all of Judea, beginning in Galilee, and after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we, we are his witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all people... But to us, who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. 
And he commanded us to preach to people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness, and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There's the sermon. Here's the response. Verse 44. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God when Peter declared anyone, can, then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commended them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And, they, and they, then they asked him to remain for some days. Look at verse chapter 11. Now, the apostle, so, 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 so we're changing location now. Now we're going to have a report of what happened. Chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began explaining it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice say to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing, un nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and it was all drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment... Three men arrived at the house in which they were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me and entered into the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa, bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, and you and all your household. As I begin to speak... The Holy Spirit fell on them just as it did on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them that he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Verse 18, here's another aha moment. When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The gospel is for all who would believe. Salvation is for all who would believe. The death and the blood and the atonement of Jesus Christ is applied to all who would believe. There is no distinction. There is no barrier. There is nothing to stand in the way of an individual from coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Except that individual's response to the message 
of Jesus Christ. What an amazing text, isn't it? There's so much that I could say here. I, 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 I honestly struggled so much putting this message together because I, I wanted to say so much, and at the same time, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been trying to go through Acts pretty quickly. And, and so I didn't want to turn this into ten parts. So this morning, what I want to do is, last week we talked about the shock of this passage, the aha moment that God revealed that even the Gentiles can be saved. And, and we're going to see that impact as we go through the book of, the Act, uh, through the book of Acts, as we see the, the church calling individuals to be missionaries then to the Gentiles. But today I want to focus on this question. What is salvation? What is salvation? And, and it's a question for those who may be asking the question to understand the a comprehensive nature of what's revealed in this text and the rest of Scripture about what salvation truly is. And for us who are saved, it's a good reminder and a good encouragement of how wonderful the blessing of salvation is that we've received and our responsibility to share that message with others. There's, there's five things about salvation that I want to say to you this morning from this text. The first is this. Salvation is inclusive. Now hear me out. Some of you I just triggered and there's theology in your mind going, inclusive? What? Hear me out. Salvation is inclusive in that it is open to all people. It is open to all people. All people from all nations. There is no barrier as which existed in the Old Testament. There is no barrier that separates anyone from becoming a child of God, a follower of God, a saint in the church. All earthly barriers have been removed. All generational barriers have been removed. All ethnic barriers have been removed. The salvation is inclusive to anyone, any place, from any background who would come to trust in Jesus Christ. Now, where do I say this? Verse 34 and 35. This is what Peter says. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. There has been a change. He has had an aha moment in his understanding of how God is working, of what the application of the life and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ means to the nations, to the Gentiles. There is no partiality. Verse 35, for in every nation, anyone who fears him and does right is acceptable to him. Salvation is inclusive because it's open to all people from all nations. In the Old Testament, God worked through one person and through one family. He called Abraham, and he made Abraham a, a man with no children. He made him a great nation, as he had promised. He gave him an inheritance, as he had promised. And yet, even within that initial promise that God gave to Abraham was a blessing for all. That, that he would become a blessing to all nations. And yet through the Old Testament, we didn't exactly understand what that meant. But through Jesus Christ, who comes through the lineage of Abraham, through the lineage of David, the one who is, is promised to a king to rule forevermore, 
God sends Christ through that lineage that through him, the ultimate blessing of Abraham, that he would be a blessing to all nations, is fulfilled that all can come and receive Christ as their Savior and receive forgiveness of their sins. The application of this is pretty simple. We know this. There is no barrier. There is no racial barrier. There is no ethnic barrier. There is no educational barrier. There is no barrier to whom we would look upon a people and say they are not worthy or they are not able to receive the grace of God. That's the great missionary call to go unto all nations and make disciples because God has people within all nations who will become disciples. And so we follow and we go out upon the call that he has given us knowing that we could spin the globe, point point right at it, and wherever our finger lands, if there's people there, I mean, penguins aren't getting saved in Antarctica, but if there's people there, we're to take the gospel to them. We're to love them and serve them and show them the love of Christ and proclaim the word of Christ because they can be saved by Christ. Amen? The big amen. Now, do we live this? This is the problem is we know this, but do we live this? Often we create categories of people in our mind to whom we say they're too far gone or we do like the judaizers they have to change first and then they can get saved they they you know they they have to become again i gave the illustration they have to become american and then they can be christians or they have to they have to clean up and then they can receive the gospel friends that's not the way the gospel works You receive the gospel and the grace of God, the work of the Spirit, the people of God, the Word at work in you shows you your sin and helps you to remove your sin. That's what the application of this is. The gospel is for everyone. There is no one to whom the gospel is not for. The gospel is inclusive of all. And yet at the same time, The second point here is that the gospel is exclusive. The gospel is exclusive. The gospel is inclusive in its scope, that it goes to all people, but it is exclusive in its object that salvation is only found in the person and belief of Jesus Christ as Lord. So it's inclusive in in, in where it can go, to all places, but the message that goes to all places is the same message and the message of Jesus Christ, that in his name there is salvation and in none other. Luke probably just gives us a a little bit of the sermon here, but I want us to to look at it at some of the parts at, at what Peter is proclaiming to Cornelius and to his friends and, and to his family. And, and, and it, it, it hinges in verse 43. The, the presentation hinges here where it says, to him all the prophets bear witness. Jesus, to, to Jesus all the prophets bear witness 
that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. When you ask the question, how can I be saved? Unfortunately, there are a lot of bad answers that may circulate. Some people may give an answer that, you know, God just, God just looks and, and sees whether or not you're genuine and you have a good heart and you, you love him and, and try to do your best. Well, guess what? Do you, do you remember what we read about Cornelius? Cornelius was a man who was, he was not a proselyte, but he was a God-fearer. He knew some things about God. He, he was well regarded by the Jews in the area. He was a man who gave alms. He, he, he gave to the poor. He was a man who prayed. He was praying. And yet, he still needed to know about Jesus Christ that he would be saved. Do you get that? Some people would say, well, you know, all roads lead up the mountain. God, God has revealed himself as Jesus. God has revealed himself as Buddha. God has revealed himself as Mohammed. Well, that's a, a wonderful sentiment. But that is completely antithetical to the teaching of the Bible. That is completely antithetical to the very words of Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. The gospel is inclusive in where it goes, but it is exclusive in that the message is found in the person of Jesus Christ and must be in the person of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for it to have the power unto salvation. Look at some of the things that he proclaims here. First, he says, he, he explains to them that God took the initiative in sending the gospel. Look at verse 36. As for the word that he sent, that's God, to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. It is God who sent Christ to us. It is God who sent his message. The, the message of the gospel is the message of, of God sending his son as a means of reconciliation because of our sinfulness and rejection of him. The Bible clear, declares that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23. There is a hostility between God and us. Romans 5 talks about this, that we were once an enemy with God. And yet Jesus Christ comes and the message, I love it, that Peter says that he preaches is a message of peace. The message of peace that, that, Peter, that Jesus preaches, that, that is revealed, is peace with God. That you can be forgiven. Your sins can be atoned for. Your wrongs be made right not because you're good enough not because you do enough but because Jesus Christ went to the cross for them that you might receive salvation the, the second thing that he plainly states here is that Jesus is Lord of all Jesus is Lord of all now this concept and this idea of calling Jesus Lord is, is, is multifaceted. 
in one sense, calling Jesus Lord of all is a smack against Rome. Because on the coin it said, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. But the proclamation of the church is that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is King of kings, Lord of lords. He is the one eternal God. He is the one of the kingdom who will come back and rule forever and ever and ever. Amen. To call Jesus Lord also emphasizes his, the fact that he is God. You remember the apostles when Jesus reveals himself, they worship him and say, our Lord and our God. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is not simply that you add Jesus to everything else that you do in life. That you have this great little plan and you just add Jesus to it. Or, another way that salvation is misconstrued often, um, that you add Jesus to your pantheon of other gods that you believe in. Have you ever met the person? Well, you know, sometimes I'm a Buddhist. Sometimes I'm a Christian, sometimes I'm a Hindu. I just, I accept all of them and I figure I cover all my bases. You can't do that with Jesus because Jesus says, I am Lord. When we come to salvation, when we come to the acknowledgement of who Jesus Christ is, what we do when we're saved is we realize the truth of Scripture, the truth of the Bible, that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is King. And we willfully, in seeing that, pledge ourselves to him that we will follow you. We will be your disciple and we will live for you and under your commands. Most all of us here were born Americans. We have a few in the church that, that earned their citizenship. They came here, they were born in another country and they came here and they went through the classes and they worked and they did all this stuff and they stood one day and they declared... I am no longer a citizen of my homeland where I was born. I now desire to be a citizen of the United States. That kind of concept, that kind of idea is, is foundational to understanding what it means to become a Christian. We are forsaking ourselves. We are forsaking our desires. We are forsaking this world to say, I want to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and i want to follow the king of heaven jesus christ my savior and my lord the third thing that he emphasizes here is that jesus was anointed with the holy spirit and with power you look at verse 38 he he calls him the messiah he says that he went about um, doing good and healing those who were oppressed by uh, the devil, that he was the Messiah, that, that, that means the anointed one. Jesus Christ is unique in all of history because he is the only man to have lived without sin. He is the only man that in every moment of his life, every action that he took, every intention of his heart, he sought to glorify God. And he sought to be a model to us in how to glorify God and in how to live. And so we're called in the New Testament to be imitators of Christ. He emphasized the death of Jesus on the cross. He says here, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. This was God's means of making peace 
between himself and sinners. You see, the heart of the gospel message, the heart of understanding what it is to be a Christian is first, to, we must understand our sinfulness, we must understand our distinction from God and the judgment due to us because of our sinfulness. But then we have to understand why Jesus died. Many men throughout history died upon a cross. Many men died, all of them who died upon a cross, it was a, it was a horrific excruciating death that's what it was supposed to be it was a it was a public death designed to to be so painful and so public that other people wouldn't want to do what that person did but you see when Jesus Christ died on the cross it is unique in all of history number one Jesus didn't die for his sins he had none our sins were placed upon him. And his sinless, perfect sacrifice made the atonement. He died in our place. He exchanged his righteousness for our sinfulness that he could put his righteousness upon us that we could be accepted by God as sinless. How are we forgiven from our sins? God just doesn't say, oh, you know what? You're a good guy. I know you really didn't mean it. You know, you're, listen, you messed up some, you're, you're not like him. <laughs> no. Romans 3 tells us that God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. That is, Jesus Christ hung on the tree, as Jesus Christ died and made an atonement pictured throughout the Old Testament with all of the sacrifices. They all pointed to this day that Jesus Christ would make an atonement for our sin that we might be declared righteous. Peter emphasizes his resurrection. He says that, uh, verse 40, his death would not have, God raised him on the third day and made him to appear to certain chosen witnesses. The resurrection of Jesus Christ authenticates a couple of things. Number one, it authenticates the fact that God approved of the message, the person, the ministry of Jesus. Because only God would have the power to raise one back from the dead. Second, the resurrection of Christ then uh, proves to the apostles and to everyone else that all that he says is true. And so as he begins to instruct them and, and reveal himself, Again, uh, he, he bore his wounds in his resurrected body. They could see the holes. He, he walked through a wall and then ate a fish. I don't know how that works. But all of that was to, to show the apostles that he was the risen Lord, that he had really died and he really came back again. And it made such an impression on their life that all but one of them died for that testimony. We must present Christ. A few things about this, about this gospel presentation. One, we must present Christ as the only way to be saved. We must be very clear about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ if people are going to be saved, particularly in our modern world and idea and, and, and cultural acceptance and glorification of relativism. That's true for you, but not true for me. The Bible is true for all. 
The gospel message of Jesus Christ is true for all. It's not true because I believe it. It's true because God said it. We must focus our gospel conversations on Jesus. Friends, people will want you to wander. If you begin to talk to people about Jesus and you begin to convict them of their sins, you will very quickly find the conversation will just go anywhere and everywhere. They might turn it back to you. They might say, oh, this church did this. They they, they might say, but what about evil? What about this? What do you think about this doctrine? What do you think about this group? They will do it nonstop. You remember the woman at the well that Jesus ministers to? He begins to bring up her sin. The man you live with now is not your husband. And she very quickly turns the conversation and goes, what mountain should we worship on? What a wonderful example of what we experience when we share the gospel with others. Friends, Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes, said this, make a beeline to the cross. Keep focused on Jesus. Jesus is the object of salvation. Other things will work themselves out. But the real question is, how can you be saved? You must come to know, understand, and confess Jesus Christ as your Lord. Third thing here is that the gospel is, we we can't water it down. We can't cut out the hard parts. He talks about judgment and wrath. He, He talks that Jesus is going to be judge. He talks about that they are sinners. These are necessary parts of the gospel. We don't have to be jerks as we say it, but we do have to communicate it. Could you imagine going to a doctor and getting a whole battery of tests because you just don't feel right? Something is off and you know it. And the doctor walks in and says, Bob, man, you're a good guy. I, I like you. I'm going to give you some, some diet uh, recommendations for some different foods and some supplements here and it should perk you up and have you feeling better and the whole time in the report that he's holding it says you have stage four terminal cancer that's what it's like if we're to go and to tell people about Jesus but not impress upon them the great need and the peril of their soul for rejecting the Lord of life. We have to tell it all. Third, these last ones will go quick, I promise. Okay, that was the, that was the bulk of it, okay? Salvation is inclusive in where it goes. It is exclusive is that it is in Jesus Christ. Third, very quick, very easy, salvation is transferable. How do we receive it? How do we get it? Well, we pass it to each other. Kind of like COVID. Right? Peter emphasizes this point over and over again. We are witnesses to the things that he did, verse 39. We are witnesses to the resurrection, verse 41. Um, he's, he's coming as, as judge. The prophets bear witness in verse 43. Witness, witness, witness. Jesus said in Acts 1, you are to be my witnesses. What's a witness do? I, I mean, we make, we make evangelism really complicated. Here's 10 steps to remember. Here's your strategy. Here's your people. Remember to pray. Remember to say this. What if I say the wrong thing? Well, here you go back to this and you do this. Remember this script. Throw this tract at somebody. We make it really difficult when the Bible just simply says we're to be a witness. Has Jesus Christ done something in your life? Have you come to know who Jesus Christ is? Share that with someone. Be a witness to him. 
be a witness. Salvation is transferable. Fourth, tr salvation is available. It is available. This is not just something for one point in time. It is available. Who is it available to? Everyone who believes in him and receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There's a whole lot of theology, a whole lot of stuff. Who's, gonna, who's God's going to save? Is there a certain people? Is there? Here's the deal, okay? Let me just simplify it for you really easy. Preach the gospel, and those who respond are the ones who God saves. <laughs> That's it. That's it. I don't know the secret things of God. I don't know what God's doing in each individual person. I do know the Spirit of God accompanies the testimony of God as we give witness to God and that God causes men and women to be born again. But He does all of that. I'm simply called to be His witness. And so I'm not going to worry about what God's doing. <laughs> I need to focus on what I am told to go and to do. Salvation is available. Available to anyone who believes there is no one so far away from god there is no one who has sinned so greatly there is no one from a, a, a backwards awful nation there is no one this this is real in in our day there is no one who is so consumed with an ideology or a political ideology that the gospel cannot reach do we know that? Do we believe that? Don't let the world separate us and cause us to separate and think about people in categories. They can get the gospel. They can't get the gospel. They could, be, they, they could do it. They would never do it. That's not our job. Our job is to go and to be witnesses. Jerusalem, yeah, they're like us. Judea, yeah, they're kind of a little different, but yeah, I, I like those folk. Samaria? I don't want to go there. They're different. To the ends of the world, they talk funny and eat weird. That's the command. Last. Told you I'd land the plane. Salvation is observable. Genuine salvation is observable. Here, we don't have time to get into all of this. But as, they, as Peter proclaims the message of Jesus Christ to these Gentile people who just days before he thought were not the objects of salvation who would be unable to receive salvation, or if they were to get saved, they'd have to be Jews first. Just a couple of days ago, that's what he believed. Now he sees this incredible thing happen as he preaches the exclusive gospel to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit descends upon these people just like he did in Acts, just like he did in Samaria. And these people visibly give evidence that they are saved by Jesus Christ. Now I don't think this is a prescription for speaking in tongues as an erratic language. Number one, they're speaking in a language that was discerned. Number two, I don't believe that this is a prescription that every time this has to happen, or for some that would teach that you don't know that you're saved unless you speak in tongues. This is a unique example to give evidence that God has done something incredible amongst the people who they didn't think 
could receive the gospel. And not only that, but then that evidence is shared in Jerusalem to the entire church who was doubting. Remember what they called the people at the beginning there? People of the, uh, people of the circumcision party. They thought you had to be circumcised before you could be a Christian. And yet, their testimony after hearing all of this, after they hear what God did, even the Gentiles have been granted to be saved. Salvation is visible when it comes into a person's life. Here they receive the Spirit. Here the, the Spirit of God visibly shows itself. They received baptism. As followers in Christ, they, they were baptized into Christ. Once they knew Christ and were saved, they wanted, to, they, they wanted to rightly, as Christ commanded, visibly show what internally had happened through baptism. That's the first step that we take as a Christian. Do you believe? Have you been baptized? And I know there's a whole lot of talking about that, but as we go through Acts, you're going to see real quick, believe, baptize, believe, baptize, believe, baptize. Some people will use this passage for an for a argument for, for pedo-baptism, that, that children would be baptized. Well, it was Cornelius and his whole household. Well, let me tell you, my whole household could get saved, and not one of them's a baby. The second thing is if you look at the argument at the very end, it says to the Jerusalem council, it says, when they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, then to Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. How were the people saved? How was the, how was the Holy Spirit falling upon them? Because they were repenting and trusting in Jesus Christ. So I do not think that this text is a valid or good argument for our brothers who would try to defend baptism before you're a believer. If you're a believer, you need to be baptized. That is a mark of evidence that shows you have received the grace of God. Last, they desire to know and to grow in their faith. Look at verse 48. After, they receive, after these Gentiles receive the, the gospel, after they repent, they believe, they're baptized. Verse 48 says, they asked him to remain for some days. Teach us. We're hungry. We want to know what God says. We want to know about Jesus. We, we want to know how to be Christians. We, we want to know. I'm hungry. I hunger and I thirst for God. I want to know. I want to know. A mark of a believer. The Holy Spirit is at work in that individual. If you come to Christ for salvation, he will change you and it will be observable. As I conclude Let's just reiterate some points. Number one, salvation is available to everyone. It is inclusive. There is no one to whom the gospel is not to go. But that message is exclusive. It focuses on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He alone is how one can be saved. What he did alone saves individuals. And we must proclaim uh, the whole message of the gospel and compel Press upon men and women to be saved, to put your faith and your trust in him. Do not face Christ as judge. Face Christ as your Savior. Salvation is transferable. It spreads by our witness. Salvation is available. Anyone can believe at any time. And salvation is observable. It makes a change when people believe in Jesus Christ. As we close, let me ask you this. Have you been saved? The greatest question you could ever ask is, how can I be saved? Have you experienced it? 
Perhaps you have more questions. I'd love to talk with you. Perhaps today you know that you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you're ready to do so. What a wonderful thing that that would be. Would you share that with us? Would you, would you come? Would you ask for prayer? Would you reach out to me and let me know that, that, that today I have repented of my sins and trusted in Christ? If you have been saved, what a wonderful reminder that this is. We're those Gentiles, by the way. And yet the gospel is for us and it is for all. May we be obedient in preserving it, proclaiming it, and sharing it to anyone and everyone. Pray with me. Father.